You could also, and this is their analogy, have a, a psychological immune system that is also trying to do the job of keeping you safe and is also looking for threats and scanning for them. And, and when it finds a threat, it doesn't mobilize T cells. It doesn't mobilize biology. It mobilizes your action. So then if, if let's say, you know, I, I'm, uh, my parents fought a lot. Um, it got intense sometimes. And as a, a kid, I realized conflict is bad and I just don't want to do conflict. Okay, so if conflict happens, here's what I can do. I can crack a joke. I can uh, roll over, I can be submissive, I can run away. So now I'm starting to build this paradigm, uh, which is similar to the immune system of, okay, whenever conflict happens, I can do X, Y, Z. I'm not allowed to do A, B, C. Welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others Leadership Podcast with Nina Sunday for experienced and aspiring people managers. This show will help you explore ways to become a more intentional leader. Each episode, host Nina Sunday speaks with some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share a passion to elevate and transform team culture. Workplace culture hides in plain sight. Is yours flourishing? Join the movement to make your workplace a better place to work. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. Ono Coleman is an Australian living in San Francisco Bay Area, engineer turned developer of leaders, having had a detour through sales. Educated at Stanford, where he gained an engineering degree, and after transitioning from design engineer of water technologies to director of sales, Ono Coleman moved into leadership development, where he was an executive coach to Googlers in Silicon Valley. The last 10 years, his company, Dynamic Leader Development, or dynamicleaderdev.com, focused on developing a new generation of teammates, managers, and leaders. Welcome, Ono Coleman. Hi, Nina. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. My pleasure. And um, I've been reading your work and watching your video video explanations, and you have so much expertise in so many interesting areas. I'm going to ask you, what questions should I be asking you first? Oh, great. (laughs) Well, floor uh, is yours. (laughs) Yeah, very kind of you to say that. Um, look, I mean, I think this, uh, I love this field of development. Uh, it's happens to be one of my personal values as well. Growth and, uh, freedom is another one of my values. So they dovetail nicely because the more we grow, the more we develop, the more freedom we have, the more options we have. So anything in the, in the domain of growth, I do individual work and development. That's, um, maybe that's something to focus on today or sometimes looking at teams, and how teams can function more effectively. Uh, that's another passion of mine ever since being on some really high-performing teams and wanting to recreate that. And and you've also delivered executive coaching with people, what, in the C-suite? or? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, when I started this turn in my career, so I think you've you said in the bio, I started engineers, uh, had a bit of a detour through sales, and then went into this field of development, um, executive coaching, training workshops, all of that. I started sort of more humbly at the uh, individual contributor becoming a manager, and that's a big transition, and a lot of people need help with that. A lot of companies don't support that. Some enlightened companies do. And then over the last 10 years have worked from managers to directors to VPs, and then, yes, sure enough, up into the C-suite. So I have clients spread along that diaspora, and 
hard to say if I have a favorite or not. I think it depends more on the the individual client rather than the the title. And one of your fascinating videos that I watched was about the difference between horizontal development and vertical development. And I'm not sure I've got it got it down. Can you tell us the, the difference and what it is? Sure, yeah. So uh, I think when we think about growth or development, there's um, it could be an overgeneralization. And if we think about uh, one way to simplify it, we could think about horizontal and vertical development. So in the horizontal development, you are acquiring skills and you're learning new things and new ways to do things. So if somebody is playing golf for the very first time and they don't know how to hold the golf club, then you can show them, okay, you link your hand in here and you you do this way and then you swing and you turn your shoulders and there are steps, there are a mechanism that you can go through. In this, in the business world, that equivalent might be if you're going to have a critical conversation, you're going to hold someone accountable, you're going to give someone feedback. There's a four-step model you should probably consider. First, have an opening, then deliver this, then listen to the person, then talk about the impact, then go to next steps. So some people only need horizontal development. So you get a bit of an instruction, a bit of a checklist and a template, and oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I can just follow those steps and I'm good. I'm on my way. But vertical development is, it's not filling up the container of the person with more information or more skills. It's growing the size of the container. So now it's more transformative. The person is now capable of more. And in certain situations, that's actually what's needed. So if we, if we think horizontal development's needed, but it's actually not, then it won't work very well. The person won't develop. We just told them how to have a conversation about accountability, but they actually need to grow in their own level of executive presence or their fear of conflict or so there's something deeper going on that needs to be grown and transformed first before they can even absorb the skill and to what extent do you think this uh vertical development expanding the vessel is accepted as something that uh leaders that are moving up the ladder really need to put on their radar and and start start doing that for themselves yeah it's a great question i mean i think more and more is the optimistic answer i think um one of my favorite authors robert keegan uh he's uh, one of the quotes that i like from him is in the world of l and d of learning and development there's way too much focus on l and not enough focus on D. Oh, I love that. And also one of your quotes is, what got you here might not get you to the next level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I saw that one around somewhere and I love it. You know, I'll Wait, borrow that one. What's the title of Robert Keegan's uh, best book that people should uh, think about getting? Um, I'm a big fan of the immunity to change. Right. We'll put a link yeah. to that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the no, other I thing I want to mention uh, for people that are listening now, towards the end, um, Ono has a leadership circle and a profile and a report, which I've actually done. And uh, we we will be talking a little bit about that before we finish. And there will be a link in the show notes. So listen right through to the end and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll follow this uh, fascinating path of uh, vertical development. <laughs> now, one of your expertise areas is also looking at in order to expand your thinking, your mindset. And um, and really, your your emotional intelligence too, isn't it? 
It's expanding yeah. your emotional Look, I mean, I intelligence. Think that's part of the vertical development. Yep, yep. There's a, I mean, there's so many different ways to think about this. But the, you want to go ahead? Well, well, I was, I was going. My, the question I was, I, did, I was sort of leading to, but I sort of got distracted myself. Um, you talk about conclusions that you reach as a child. You make decisions about life as a child, and then you carry them through your life like an invisible backpack. And people don't even know that they're there. And that's a little area that you like to get in and under the surface and say, what conclusions did you make, decisions did you make as a child about how the world works? Can That would be an interesting area for you to tell us a bit about, Ono. Sure, yeah. No, that's that's there. The good stuff is, I think. (laughs) Um, Well, so, you know, I started as an engineer and I'm still a little bit of an engineer at heart, so... I was um, pursuing how to uh, some models and frameworks for understanding how do we tick as humans. I used to be really interested in how do things work and how do you make things. So it was the perfect degree to study at that point. But then when I switched to sales, I had to realize, wait a second, it's I didn't learn anything about how do humans work and how do we interact with each other and the importance of listening skills and emotional intelligence and at the same time, my my parents got divorced and I was in my mid-20s and I was trying to have a serious relationship and I kept saying all the boneheaded things that my dad said to my mom and then my mom said to my dad, so it actually became really existentially important. How do I tick, actually? I need to figure this out. And so in that process of discovery and exploration, I went to a couple of different retreats and workshops. I had a mentor at the time who really helped me out. His name's Jay. Um, so Jay, if you're listening to this, thank you. You really set me on a, uh, an amazing path here. And it was it was to start looking at some of that invisible stuff that I'm schlepping around and carrying around behind me. So um, I want to relate this back to the horizontal and vertical development just for a second. And, and I started with the golf analogy. I'm actually more of a tennis player than a golfer myself. But you can imagine, you know, here's how you hold the, the club and here's how you swing. That Those are mechanical sort of instructional things that you can learn. But let's say that you're a golfer, or if it's you, you do okay in the first couple of holes, but then it starts to get tight and then maybe you get a bit of a lead and then the pressure kind of gets to you and then you choke on a couple putts and you miss some easy ones and then the mental self-talk starts and right, like no quick amount of technique or, or, you know, instructional video or looking this up in chat GPT, you know, how do I avoid choking on the golf course? That's probably not going to get the result that you really want. And if you're a leader and you're suddenly promoted to some more senior level, and there are people that are 10, 15 years older than you that have been in this game longer, may actually have some competitive issue with you. And you need to speak up for your team and you need to negotiate, you need to push boundaries and you need to jump into the conversation and maybe cut people off, even though you'd rather sit back and, and just wait. And if you just do good enough work, eventually you'll get noticed, right? And someone will take care of you. Not really. So, you know, how, how do you develop that level of confidence and that level of presence? Again, not going to come from some kind of tip or trick or or technique. And the, and the sports uh, analogy is very pertinent, Ono, because... I would say probably and certainly in the world of tennis and and golf as well, it's the ability to manage their emotions when they're under pressure is what makes the winner. It's it's not so much technique. Technique gets them to the to the, you know, to the grand final. 
but it's that That's ability right. to manage their emotions on the way up that that makes a difference and sounds to me like that's important in uh, in leading people too do you think it is absolutely it's so it's it's firstly recognizing the emotions so some of the work is is that awareness and that basic um then where do those emotions come from that's a strange thing that that is actually relatively straightforward but we never get taught this you know i went through a classical education system, and nobody ever taught me what emotions are or where they come from. And yet, they're hugely important in terms of working with other humans or leading other humans. So we could take a little detour down that route if you want. Like, where do emotions come from? Sure. But I think for the <laughs> yeah, okay. You mention it, we'll talk about it. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, so yeah, I think it's a bit of a simplified model, of course, because the brain is very complicated, and there are lots of inputs here. But um, I often tell the story of, um, or, or the, the imagined story of, let's say you're out on a, a hike or a walk, and it's a nice summer day, and you've got your dog with you, and you're walking around, maybe out in the in the woods or in the outback, if we're back home in Australia, or here you're taking a hike in the in the forest in the trees, and you come around a corner and you see something brown and squiggly on the trail in front of you. What is it, Nina? It's a snake. <laughs> Yeah, and especially if you're Australian, you're pretty wired to look out for snakes. So everything could be a snake, right? So then what happens? Suddenly, fear and adrenaline and cortisol and you the freeze. Yeah, you freeze, right? I said you a snake. Fight, fight, fight flight, freeze backwards. <laughs> right, a bit of flight and a bit of freeze. I haven't seen too many people fight the snake unless you're Steve Owen. But yes, so 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 there's an immediate chemical and physiological response, and then you start acting. Mm. So very quickly, what's happening is you made a judgment, then you started feeling things, then you started acting, mm. and the feelings demand some kind of action. So it's very hard to sit there with those. So let's say you freeze. And you look at the snake and it doesn't move and you don't move and it doesn't move and you don't move and the dog doesn't seem to care. And then you realize, wait a second, that's a stick. And now in your body, you get this flood of relaxation and most of the adrenaline and cortisol gets tucked back into its little lockers. Probably not all of it. You still have a little bit of a residual high after that. But then you probably start walking forward at that point. I so, pick up the stick just to make it. And just throw it out of the way for the next person, yeah. <laughs> but so what What changed in the external world in that example? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. No, something brown and squiggly in the trail. At first, I totally freaked out. And then... Well, uh, self-protection then kicks oh. in. You know, this is how we survive. And That's a right. dash so what, of paranoia is, is what I, makes us survive. <laughs> And we have this negativity bias in our brains. We tend to pick out the negative and we look for that. And that that's fine. You know, that makes sense as long as we know that about ourselves. But so did the did the brown squiggly thing cause the emotion? It was my decision of yeah. and my identification of what it was that caused the exactly. emotion. Yeah. So so I think of this four-letter acronym, everything good is four letters, right? So D-T-E-R. Yes. So at first there's data. There's something brown and squiggly in the road. Yeah. It's objectively neutrally true that that's what's happening. Then I have a thought about it or a judgment or something I make up about it. Oh my God, that's a snake. 
and then I have an emotion, and then I have a reaction. And so very quickly, we're going through this sequence, data, thought, emotion, reaction. Apply that, and then, and then, and then the thought changes next time. A few, a few seconds later, wait a second, the data is the same, but now I have a new thought. That's just a stick. Uh, okay, now my emotions change in response and my reaction changes in response. And relief, and you get a flood of what? Oxytocin and... Uh... <laughs> Probably some endorphins come in to mask the pain and, you know... Get... From, from, <laughs> from fear to, oh... Exhalation, <laughs> gratitude for being alive on this fine day. You know, that That's wasn't right. a king round. Thank goodness. <laughs> No, but so um, the emotion, our body is a little bit like a tuning fork for the thoughts that we're having. Gosh. Now, and so if I'm primed to walk around in life with thoughts, like my underlying belief that happens before the thoughts even is that let's say the world is a dangerous place and people are out to get me. If I believe that at a deep level because of what happened and what I'm carrying around in my backpack and what happened in my you know childhood or whatever, it's my family conditioning, it might be my cultural conditioning, it might be some trauma, big or little, that I experienced. And I decided as an eight-year-old, the world is dangerous and it's out to get me. And that's why this bad thing happened to me. That's the only way I can make sense of this. So now I'm going through the world careful and cautious. Hypervigilant. And some hypervigilant, yeah. So the thoughts that that soil tends to breed are more um, uh, cynical ones and more critical ones and more doubtful ones and doubting ones, which then, if I'm thinking all those things, oh, maybe they're out to get, what's her angle? Maybe I can't trust this. This will happen again. I'll get screwed like I did last time. If I'm thinking all those things, like try it on. What's the feeling in response to all that? The body says, okay, well, if that's what's happening, gets tight, gets anxious, gets stressed. And then I want to, then I'm going to act from that place. And you you possibly see a hidden agenda behind every person, no matter how innocent their statement. You wonder, yeah. as you said, what's their angle? What how are they going to how are they going to get me? So it's it's being too too protective and you don't trust. It, it, it's right. an absence of trust. And you can see, I mean, I don't know if podcast listeners might not be able to see this, but there's a poster that I have on the wall here. Can you read that from where you are, Nina? For those looking at YouTube, yes, I can see it. It's something leaders bring the weather with them. That's right. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if that guy who quoted that was a Crowded House fan, but he's definitely bring the weather. So uh, emotions are contagious, kind of like yawns are and when we get into a room with social animals and we look at others and what how how are people doing and whose emotions are most contagious in the room it's the leader that's right and so if something is hitting the fan and we all look to the leader instinctively and the leader is calm and composed it's like okay let's take this in stride we can learn from this let's grow back better okay then everybody's calm and they're fine if the leader gets angry or gets afraid themselves, that increases the contagion to people around. And often people make up stories about uh, what the external behaviour is, what the meaning yeah. behind it is. So, I mean, I was delivering a business communication workshop and someone uh, was saying, you know, around the, the table, it was a small group, my team don't respect me. And I said, what's the evidence for that? Well, they don't answer my emails. I'm going, well, maybe that's a channel of communication that is problematic. They're busy. 
not answering your emails, they're probably not answering a lot of emails. It does. It's not yep. necessarily a sign of disrespect, but that leader took it as evidence that they didn't respect. Did didn't respect? Yep. I, I yeah. So we can. I hopefully I I said, well, don't infer that. One behavior doesn't infer the motivation. Yeah. No. So I mean, run it through the model we just talked about. The data is. What's the data? You basically asked him, you're like, what how what is the signal you got? How do you um, know? Emails not being responded to. <laughs> Bingo. So that's the data. And then his thought about it was they're not respecting me. If they respected me, they'd re- respond to my emails. Maybe they're responding Which, to clients first, realizing that internal is less important than client emails. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe it was worth a conversation exactly. asking so- the question. <laughs> Hundred percent. That's the answer here. Is hold careful of the 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 desire to leap to judgment. Yeah. Because you know it might not be a snake, after all. That's right. And and but maybe I would go and so that's why we have to sometimes go upstream a little more. And this is where the stuff about paradigms comes in and the immunity to change comes in. If this person believes that he has to prove himself on a daily basis then this is just one more lens to look through and say, see, I haven't proved myself enough. They're not, they don't respect me enough. So that's my assumption. If, if they respected me, they would answer every little thing that I send. So therefore I'm now going to have a bunch of feelings and be contagious and bring a bunch of weather that is actually not that helpful and doesn't serve the greater purpose. And Ono, Ono, you just brought in two new concepts immunity to change, and was it paradigm shift? Yes. Tell yep. us about those two in yeah, any order well, so, that you like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, no, I did I did drop those in. The immunity to change, uh, referenced this earlier, fabulous book by Keegan and Leahy, um, professors out of Harvard. So oh, right. the idea, yep, so the idea behind that is, uh, and I think the paradigm concept builds on it and fleshes it out. A little more so so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about both of them and then what's yeah. different if you like because you're running a you run workshops on paradigm shifts is that right so is this kind That's of right. what you'll be doing in in your upcoming workshops yeah it is yeah, yeah. no so so we have we have a workshop coming up in a couple months actually um depending on when you listen to this um yes. there hopefully still will be another one That's coming right. up because we're planning to do this that, regularly yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so the idea is to um in, in, let's start with immunity to change because I think it's a little bit simpler and more accessible. So you probably have noticed at this point in your life that some changes are hard to make. Mm-hmm. And we have this concept of New Year's resolutions where somehow January 1st is a magical day where we can declare new ways of being that we want to show up in the world. Um, but they often fail. New Year's resolutions fail and people uh, because of how the brain works and biology works, we develop habits over time, and sometimes they're bad habits. And bad habits are indeed quite hard to break. Um, it's a better strategy to build a new habit alongside it that gets even stronger. It's kind of hard to actually break down these connections in the brain. They get reinforced by these myelin sheaths so that your brain doesn't have to think about it, and it's just automatic. Myelin so we're going sheath. through These are things that... Um... Yeah, micronutrients in the brain that are not good. Is that right? Not necessarily micronutrients. These are fatty tissues. So um, the old saying, neurons that fire together wire yes. together. Yes, yes. Let's say you're learning. You're learning how to bounce a basketball, 
for the yeah. first time. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're learning, you're practicing and it's taking a lot of attention and you're thinking about it and how do I do this and how do I do that? If you then do this enough times, your brain will get the message, oh, this is important. I need to learn how to do this. So let me build a circuit that figures out how to do this so that I don't have to think about it so much and process it because that's tiring and that consumes too many calories and I don't have enough food for that. So like walking, like swimming at some point, like riding a bike, all these things your brain will build the circuit for. And then it reinforces that circuit with a fatty tissue so that the uh, electrical connection between one neuron and another improves in speed and in transfer and in in security that that tissue doesn't break down and that's called you want myelin to keep yeah the myelin is the is the name of the sheath right that goes okay, around that's it. fascinating a bit of neuroscience there <laughs> a little yeah a little detour into that too so why not it's uh, this is my engineering right this is how the brain is built so so at any point in our lives you if you could magically look into the brain you would see i'll switch metaphors uh, a number of four-lane freeways or highways for that, that get traveled often and they're well-maintained and, and yeah. that's smooth. And then there are some two-lane roads that you do every now and then. And then there are some one-lane roads that have potholes in them. And you can drive on one of those roads, but it's not really fun. And you'd rather not if if you had the choice to take a, one of the, the four-lane roads. So the immunity to change pops up when we're asking someone to do something that their brain isn't wired for and or that they have some deep belief about that is they're not willing to give up just yet. They're probably not even conscious of it. Right. And so what this looks like is um, like a hockey stick kind of graph where you're going along fine and you're day to day and whatever, and then something happens and you get triggered and boom, your immune system kicks in the psychological immune system. So this is the metaphor. You have a physical immune system that's trying to protect you and keep you safe at all times. And it's detecting invaders and it's, it's trying to repel those. It gets things wrong sometimes too. Like some people are allergic to, I don't know, bee stings or peanuts or something, which shouldn't probably be lethal, but for that immune system, it is. You could also, and this is their analogy, have a a psychological immune system that is also trying to do the job of keeping you safe and is also looking for threats and scanning for them. And, and when it finds a threat, it doesn't mobilize T-cells. It doesn't mobilize biology. It mobilizes your action. Right. So then if, if let's say, you know, I, I'm, uh, my parents fought a lot. Um, it got intense sometimes. And as a, a kid, I realized conflict is bad. And I just don't want to do conflict. Like, why should we even do conflict? Why can't we all just get along? That would be nice. With my childhood naivete, that sounded nice. So I sort of made up a rule that conflict is bad and I should avoid conflict. Then I layered onto that some strategies, behavioral strategies for, okay, so if conflict happens, here's what I can do. I can crack a joke. I can uh, roll over. I can be submissive. I can run away. I, there are a bunch of strategies I can do. There are some strategies that are off to the table. I'm not going to confront someone. You know, I'm not going to escalate, like right, because I've decided that conflict is bad and we shouldn't do those things. So now I'm starting to build this paradigm, uh, which is similar to the immune system of, okay, whenever conflict happens, I can do X, Y, Z. I'm not allowed to do A, B, C. 
and then it kind of works and I get, you know, I get certain friend groups and then I get certain good grades. Cause if you get good grades, your parents don't fight anymore and then you get into a good university. And so that works too. And then you become the teacher's pet and then you get a good job and then everything seems to be working fine. And my immune system only flares up every now and then, but it is constantly watching and scanning for conflict. Fast forward to I'm 28. I'm managing or leading a team People on the team are not pulling their weight and not doing their job. And I need to sit them down and I need to have an accountability conversation. I might even need to fire one of these people. And as I sit down to do that, the little voice on my shoulder says, you realize this could end up in conflict and you know how bad conflict is. Like we don't want to end up at the police station again. And we don't want to feel any of those things we felt when we were little. So avoid the conflict. I've heard about this thing called the sandwich approach. Maybe you could try that brain, give him like a nice big compliment first, and then sneak in a tiny little bit of criticism and then give him like, you know, some more white wonder bread and, and sandwich. So let's try that. That becomes my strategy then and totally doesn't work. And the person leaves the meeting confused. Like, Oh, I think Ono just told me I did a good job actually. So maybe we're okay. Mm. So this is an example of where my immune system and my paradigm, it worked for a while. But now, given my change in position, actually doesn't work that well anymore. So I need to update it now. And through either process, the paradigm mapping process or the immunity to change process, we can pretty quickly get to the bottom of, oh, the root belief and assumption here is that all conflict is bad. And we can look at that and say, that sounds a little overly simplified. These black and white things are usually a trigger. The world is a dangerous place and everyone is out to get me. Anytime you hear those absolutes, it's a bit of a clue that, oh, I think the immune system's kicking in here. Right. It's trying its best. It's trying to protect me. But as a mature adult now, I can look at that and say, that's sort of an eight-year-old point of view. The world was simpler back then. Things were pretty black and white. It lacked some nuance. And now as a mature adult, I can say, look, some conflict is obviously awful. Um, some conflict is bad. Some conflict is kind of neutral. Eh. Some conflict is actually kind of good. And we probably should hash some things out. And now I have updated that assumption, that line of code that was running in me this whole time. And instead of looking out through the world now, if all conflict is bad and I have to avoid and detect all conflict, I can have a little bit of a pause and say, well, some conflict is bad. So let me try to ascertain if this is good, the good kind or the bad kind. And I show up a little calmer. I don't have the full anaphylactic shock immune response that I might have had. Exactly. And what you're talking about is some managers are happy to settle for artificial harmony and not be authentic with what they what they say, because often they don't exactly know how to say it. And they have got this experience of um, if I say anything, people are going to blow up. So I say nothing at all. So that's what we call an avoidant manager. And I recognize this, Ono, because that was my issue when I was a manager of teams. Uh, but it's it's interesting that it that it can actually go right back to your childhood. So now I have to I, I can relate it to back to one of my first jobs where the manager was over uh, accusing and over over domineering. And I just yeah. went, I don't want to be like that. He was overcritical. Yep. I went, I don't want to be like yep. that. So uh, I made that decision when I was 20. And so that then I carried that through. So I was hyper uncritical. 
Yes. Which was a mistake because I didn't pull people up when they needed to because I go, oh, I can live with this. Oh, it's not that bad. It's like, no, it was bad. That's right. Yeah. And but you, you decided, and the pendulum often swings like this. I mean, we, you know, but I'm never going to be like that person. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And we make these commitments, right? We make these very strong, you know, commitments. Oh, no. Often, I'm going to have to get you back for another conversation <laughs> because we're drawing to a close now. We have to. But it's so fascinating the areas that you're working in. I do want to talk about the leadership circle profile before we close and 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 ask people how they can. Well, firstly, tell me, tell us how people can work with you because you can work uh, online anywhere in the world. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And COVID's made that much more normal. Um, I was doing a few video calls before that even. So sure. It, Coaching works really well over there are actually benefits to doing it yeah. virtually, I think. So um and even workshops work decently well. Um I, I think that the leadership circle is a great note to end on and it ties some of this in. At the very center of your leadership circle profile there, if you look at that, yeah. it says identity. I pulled mine out. Not that if you're only listening on the audio, where if you go to YouTube, I'm gonna pull mine out. I guess my profile is personal, isn't it? Yeah, you might not want to flash that for everyone. That's right. <laughs> Although it does look pretty good, Nina, and it speaks to exactly what you just talked about too. So ah. um, it, it would be okay to show that. But here, folks, the Leadership Circle was developed by um, Anderson and Adams. Uh, this is based on at least 25 or 30 years of really good research. I think my, my inner engineer loves it because it takes this fuzzy, squishy concept of leadership and it makes it very practical and accessible. There we go. Yeah. It shows you, there you go. It shows you what great looks like. And it shows you the, the behaviors on the top half that you do want to be doing and the behaviors on the bottom half that you want to avoid doing. Oh, that's, I'm pleased to say my bottom half is less than my top half. So that's good. That's right. So that's reactive. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, the, I mean, the five-second tour of this is um, the top half is what you want. Yes. That's more conscious, thoughtful, creative. That's leadership yes. that scales. The bottom half is your reactivity. We oh. talked a little bit about that today. When your emotions get, when you get hooked, when you get fight flight, when your immune system kicks in, all those concepts match here. And in the balance between the left side of the circle and the right side of the circle, the right side is your task orientation. Right. And the left side is your uh, relational orientation. And every good leader needs to balance those. We need to, people need to know, well, where are we going and what's the target and what's the strategy and who's doing what and what's the system some leaders are really oriented towards the task side. Others are really oriented to the relational side. I mean, in 2023, you still need humans to actually go do the work. So uh, how do you foster that environment of team play? And how do you create that psychological safety? And how do you interact? And what weather are you bringing? And so your own self-awareness is over there as a leader too. So you got to balance these two wings. And then the circle also beautifully shows there's a dark side to both of those wings too. You can be a little too task oriented and a little perfectionist and a little domineering and a little critical. And you can be a little too people oriented and be a little pleasing and be a little passive and go along with the crowd because your identity is so fused with relationships that if relationships are threatened, you're threatened and your whole system kicks in. Or if you're fused with the tasks, the work's not getting done, the deadlines are not getting met, there are errors on this, it's going to reflect badly on me. It suddenly feels like a, a survival moment 
so it then your immune system kicks in there too so so in I can about see that I've got minutes. a little bit more of an emphasis in relationships versus tasks, and that probably is how it has played out in the past. But I'm, I'm I think you just said that ten minutes all the ago. time. <laughs> yeah, doing my vertical so, development. Do you what, well, do you that, use this leadership circle in your coaching? Hundred percent. Yeah, you yeah. can take. They've made it the self assessment free. Right. So if you go to leadership circle profile, um, I have the full URL. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, that's right. Oh, no, it's been fascinating speaking with you today, and uh, I feel confident that listeners may want to get in touch with you, perhaps with a view to either getting coaching from you or attending one of your uh, Paradigm Shift workshops. So give us the website that people can find you, Ono. Sure. So uh, the name of the company is Dynamic Leader Development, and we shorten the last bit. So www.dynamicleaderdev.com. Excellent. And you can find me on LinkedIn as well. I'm sure there's not too many Ono Coleman's. That's on right. It's spelled O double N O K O E L M A N, but it'll be in the uh, title. And um, and there's a link to getting the leadership circle at your website. Uh, yes, I, will, I have one on the website. And if yeah. you also want to look up leadership circle profile self assessment, that should take you straight to a place where you can take the free self assessment. Um, and I'd be happy to chat with you and debrief it. And if that leads to a longer conversation, great. Or if that's just a one-off, that's also fine too. Right. Thanks very much, Ono. Uh, thank. I appreciate your time and uh, great, great speaking with you. And I look forward to the next time. Thanks, Nana. Me too. Cheers. This episode, we've been speaking with Ono Coleman on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. You'll find a link to Ono's website, Uh, in the show notes and take advantage of his uh, leadership circle profile uh, the opportunity to find a little bit more about your approach your personal approach to leadership and he'll debrief that for you and you can always connect with Ono on LinkedIn and you know we do have sponsors that make it possible to do what we do Apex Trader Funding for Futures Trading you'll find out all about that in episode 106 and Dan Silberberg his leadership, his leader council. Uh, we've got there's multiple conversations with Dan, episode 98 to 105, uh, very popular episode on quantum thinking. So I feel confident you'll enjoy going back to listen to those past episodes. I'm your host Nina Sunday. Connect with me on LinkedIn with a comment saying this is how you found me and that you like the show and uh, do us a favor, tell tell people about us. Go to Apple and Spotify or Spotify and rate it five star, perhaps leave a short review. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. Until next time. Nina Sunday is on a mission to help leaders transform culture. To book Nina Sunday CSP to speak at your conference, visit ninasunday.com to request a proposal. Nina travels from Brisbane, Australia for in-person presentations Australia-wide. Twice certified virtual presenter, Nina Sunday presents virtually, globally, for any time zone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.